Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking About the Big Stuff podcast with Michael Cole and Matthew Cravat. I am Michael Cole. And I am Matthew Cravat. And today we have a guest. Um, Matthew? Yeah, I felt that we don't have enough cravats on this uh, podcast, so I uh, enlisted the next generation of cravat, uh, my daughter, Leah Cravat. Hello. All right, so... Uh, Leah, if you want to tell the audience real quick a little bit about yourself, and then we'll we'll dive into our subject. Hi, I am 20 years old. I'm Leah Cravat, and um, yeah, I've been an activist for five years. Great. And that's what we initially talked about was having you on to talk about activism and um but obviously, because of the the shooting in Tennessee, um, and you, a big portion of your activism, is gun specific i thought that that became a better topic for us so um i think this week we need to talk about guns yeah leah why don't you briefly tell your story of the day you became an activist yes yes the day i became an activist was february 14th uh 2018 and the parkland shooting shooting had happened uh, at marjorie stoneman douglas high school I had seen the news while I was at school, and um, it was almost the end of the day for me, and I kept on refreshing the news, and I saw um, just how many victims there were, and at the time, there was like 13, and by the time I got home, it was 17 victims, and I was like, enough is enough. I can't ignore this anymore. I went to my mom in tears. I was not happy about what happened. Of course, no one was. And I was like, we need to get involved now. I can't ignore this anymore. So we got started with March for Our Lives, and we've been going ever since. Great. I mean, not great that you have to be in it doing this, but it's great that you are doing this. Um, I, I, I think one of the interesting things about the three of us is that we are just different enough in generations that the idea of school shootings mean completely different things to us, probably. Um, unfortunately, uh, I, I entered high school three or four months after Columbine. So it wasn't like a brand new idea, but it was not what it is now, obviously. And so you probably went to high school or went to school, if not high school with, um, with a, a complete sense of this is just a normal, it shouldn't be, but it is a normal occurrence. I was somewhere in between, and Matthew, I would assume that you... It was pretty much unheard of. Like The risk of going to school in Brooklyn was you might get your ass kicked one day. Uh, Mm. Maybe you can picture getting stabbed. You know, not murdered, stabbed, but someone cutting you. You could maybe. Like, that wasn't a fear you had, but that was the worst you'd imagine. The idea that um, a single person would get shot, let alone mass shootings, was not even in the zeitgeist at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and just to give you a little perspective too, um, when when I talk about this with Sarah, she has a, a yet another perspective. Even though her and I are only four years apart, she didn't spend she spent most of her childhood out of the U.S. So her experience is very different. She moved here as a freshman in high school, and I think that for the most part, the idea of school shootings didn't really start clicking in her head until probably after she graduated high school because. Not that it wasn't happening at that point, but it wasn't the, with the frequency. There was kind of a, I don't, lull's not the right word, but maybe it was less reported on or whatever. It was less of a phenomenon that, you know, that was happening all the time during her, you know, I would say 2003 to 2007, I think is the time frame we're talking about. So the idea is completely foreign to her and, you know, now raising Logan and we're, we're, you know, she's had every time one of these shootings has happened, she's talked about, do we need to homeschool and how do we deal with this? And and I think that the social aspect of school and all the all that comes with school, all the good things that come with school are so important. And how do you offset that? And so, yeah, I, I've been it's 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 nice that I've got, you know, both of you to talk about. I've got Sarah. So it's very different perspectives on on an issue that that you know, clearly is, is an ep- epidemic at this point. So for sure. for sure, It's a huge topic to tackle. And I don't, and I don't so think we, 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 we can so, focus on school shootings or we can focus on the gun problem as a whole. It's, it's whatever you I, I think, think is the best thing to tackle. 
and I think a great thing would be if Leah tells us what um, what what her mother has spent the day doing and, and what what is going on right now here in North Carolina like this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this week, um, we sorry. <laughs> so in North Carolina, in North Carolina General Assembly, uh, they have brought the um, vetoed bill SB forty one, the pistol purchase permit repeal, to the Senate floor to try to override the veto. Unfortunately, they were successful in overriding it in the Senate. Um, the pistol permit purchase repeal will basically get rid of permits for any kind of gun when you go out and buy a gun. And obviously, that's really dangerous because it's also getting rid of background checks. Um, so, yeah, they unfortunately, they overrided the veto in the Senate. But my mom did make calls, and she's making calls to the House because tomorrow they're going to bring it to the House floor for a vote. And... There are very specific people in the house that we're trying to to target, and I don't want to name them in this podcast, but um, we are doing our best to phone bank. We have gotten people involved to phone bank to legislators and make sure, hey, we can't overturn this veto. We need to keep the veto. Yeah, and not to make it a partisan issue, but it tends to fall out as a partisan issue on its own. The In the House, if all the Republicans were to vote to override the veto, and all the Democrats would vote to not override the veto, it would fail. If a single no vote isn't there, then the veto is overridden. So, if it's, so someone doesn't even have to vote no. Like they don't have to cross. They don't have to cross the line rather and say I'm going to vote to repeal um, the uh, to override the veto. They just have to not show up. So it's not like oh I didn't vote. It's like oh I couldn't make it to work today. And mm-hmm. and then if there's a clean sweep on the other side, which one could expect it would be, then it would be overturned. So that the calls they're making are show up for work tomorrow and you know stand firm. Hey everybody, this is editing Mike. Um, I am editing this on Thursday night, and we had recorded this on Tuesday night. And I just wanted to update right here because um, what Matthew and Leah are talking about right now with the um, state Congress people and senators. Um, as far as the Democrats just needing to hold strong, um, they they failed today. Um, three Democrats voted in favor of repealing the veto, um, and so that the, that law will be overturned. I don't know if that takes effect imme- if, effect immediately, but it will be um, it will be happening shortly or however that process goes. But it, it it's over now. Yeah. So uh, maybe you don't know the, neither of you will know the answer to this, and I know I don't. So um, what is the argument for repealing? I don't, I don't get it. It's some of the issues you kind of. It makes you have to wait a couple of days or week before you get your gun. That's the argument. Sometimes it's a backlog and it makes you have to wait so you can't get a gun the day you want it. Well, to be fair, the, in the Second Amendment, it says, uh, doesn't it say no waiting period in the in all of the details of this? I don't think it says that. No, it's <laughs> okay. I the, the reason I ask about that about the the argument for is because I find it easier to process and dismantle once I know why they argue for something. Like and there's and and sometimes. I don't agree with it, but I at least understand where they're getting there from. And this doesn't make any sense. And and technically the answer could be no. Like if you have a history of abusing your spouse, they might say, no, you can't have a gun. So -hmm. if you get rid of this law, then that's not a factor. You can then get your gun. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's, what's interesting is today, um, former governor, Pat McCrory, the um, previous Republican governor before our current governor um, came out in an interview and said, the pistol permit law works perfectly the way it is and it should not be repealed. So he does not support overriding the veto. Good. Good. Yeah. Not that he has any power, but, yeah. but it's like, but he came across saying like, we've had this law for almost a hundred years. It's worked fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems logical and I get the idea of wanting to make things uh, better, but getting rid of something that's mostly working doesn't seem, even if it's working fine, but uh, but you know that just doesn't make sense to me the the concept of them wanting to get rid of it but um not that it's it's not exactly related but so I, I wanted to tell so I I lived in Massachusetts up until six years ago and in Massachusetts we consider them to have 
some of the best gun laws in the country. Um, from what I've understood of them, they seemed like they were fairly common sense a lot of the time. They made a lot of, uh, you know, they made a lot of sense. There was a couple of things that I obviously didn't connect with. But one of one of the big issues um, that I can remember, and this kind of is related to what you said about, you know, beating your spouse or, or any other like background check kind of thing was. Um, I, so I have mental health issues and I've been hospitalized for my mental health issues before. And I remember hanging out with some guys who were gun guys and them telling me we need to go to the range. And I said, oh, I don't think that I can get. I can go do that. And they were like, Oh no, there's no problem. And I was like, no, but I've been hospitalized for, for you know, mental health issues. And, and, and they were like, Nope, it's not a problem. They're not allowed to ask that. And I was like, are you serious? And that seems to be the, what I've heard the more and more I go, the more and more I talk to people outside of Massachusetts, even that that's a fairly common thing that mental health, even though they all want to use that as the scapegoat all the time, mental health is not taken into consideration in the legal aspect at all. And I would, I would include, you know, I didn't do anything harmful to anybody else with my mental health issues, but I, you don't know that I know that I'm not at danger, but nobody else knows that. But if you are a domestic abuser or even, you know, one time domestic abuser or any of these other issues, the fact that you wouldn't have any, um, that you would just be able to, you'd have no inhibition or no, I can't, I'm not thinking of the right word, but no prohibition pro- Prohibition on getting weapons seems like there, it seems completely illogical. And I don't, the only, the only thing that I can actually, now that I just said that out loud, I thought of one of the few arguments and, and this might be a bad thing to say on, on the podcast, get myself in trouble, but, um, a lot of that shit's because of gun, because of cops, isn't it? Because yeah. cops well, I mean, are very frequently just be able to carry a gun. Domestic I think there violence, are... like there's a lot of domestic violence in the police uh-huh. world, and you can't. And I think that's a part of why, in some places, they have those because they they are mentally unstable or they are d- domestic abusers. I think some states, I mean, domestic violence, there's not there's less laws about because that's more recent thing that they're passing laws. Um, to restrict people who've been found of domestic and not and domestic violence not just not just spousal but you know yeah. other domestic violence um, and that's one of the fights that some states are passing laws and some states aren't and some states are challenging them and trying to go to the supreme court to say that you can't that that's why like people don't want a background check because that'll turn up like it's one of the things like you can say that you can't have a gun if you have this but if there's no background check where you live then how is that enforced if i can go to a gun show and buy a gun then it doesn't stop then it doesn't mean anything that there's a law and that's yeah. what the loopholes um the and and some states have limits on and mental health is a big topic so to say mental health is a little broad that there are specific things you yeah. should, like if you were hospitalized within five years you know there's usually specific things set out it's not just a generic thing and there was a federal law but um president trump uh, got rid of that one Oh yeah, that's yeah. not surprising. Um, <laughs> yep. um, so, um, Leah, if if you were to go to the um, General Assembly of North Carolina right now, uh, approximately how many people would be able to greet you by name? Elected officials would be able to greet you by first name. Um, I would say, wow. <laughs> Quite a lot, actually, because we know so many people in the North Carolina House and in the North Carolina Senate. Any person in Wake County or Durham County, I would say. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah I, so how I, difficult, is, as an activist, how difficult is it to get to know your elected officials or to meet your elected officials? It's not difficult at all. I mean, there are so many opportunities to go to your local General Assembly, sit into a committee meeting, sit in with the whole House or Senate convening, uh, convening for votes. Um, and then afterwards, you can just talk to them. They are just people at the end of the day, even though they're either doing something that you want or doing something that you don't want. Um, there are also so many events that you can look up online saying, what is my elected official doing right now? And you can go to those events. Usually they're open for the public. And you can just 
talk to them, have a minute with them and tell them your issues and tell them what you want them to do. It's not that hard. Yeah. How, how much do you interact with, uh, when you go in and you've seen people, how much do you interact with, uh, opposite of the aisle people? Um, most recently, a few weeks ago, I actually did talk to a couple people on the other side of the aisle. Um, one of the representatives noticed my green Converse shoes that I was wearing for Mate Rodriguez, uh, who was killed in the Uvalde shooting. She was identified with her green Converse shoes with a um, heart drawn on the right toe, and that's what I was wearing. And he was like, oh, nice shoes. And I told him why I was wearing them, and he just kind of got quiet. Um, it was not awkward at all, though. It, I was just like, okay. I'm going to go ahead and do this. In the past, like, you know, 15, 16 year old me, I would have been like, no way, no way. Yeah. But now, like, 20 year old me, I'm like, I have more confidence. I got this. I can tell them off. Um, another one was a representative who was a chair of the committee that I was sitting in on. And I told him if, you know, if you vote yes on the pistol, per pistol permit purchase repeal, then you're not representing North Carolina and you're not doing what's right for the constitu your constituents. And, oh, good. And the reason, the reason I asked was because I, I think it's, we're at a stage in, or a, we're in a time right now where it feels like there's very little swaying people. And so I didn't know how much you're just trying to bolster our side and how much, and, and, and obviously I don't, I'm not even saying that's being aggressive or anything with the other side, but like, if there is any interact, like the, the, the shoes, and I'm sorry, I already forgot the person's name, uh, Monte Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yep. Um, the, yeah, when you're talking about the shoes like that, even though that seems like a little, there was a little bit of conflict. It doesn't seem like it was necessarily rude. And that's a good way of just kind of putting it out there to a person who opposes you, who, if you fought them, they're going to just dismiss you. If you try to persuade them, they're probably going to dismiss you, but just existing in front of them. I just was curious how, as to how much that, that's probably the best thing we can do at this point. I'm assuming is just to kind of show them where people and cause, cause that's, it seems like it's, borderline impossible to connect across party lines right now yeah well, it definitely it's... is um we were told by so many representatives and senators that uh we met with a couple of weeks ago they were like is there any way of talking to them about this and they mostly said no <laughs> um yeah but i think we're still gonna try um you know just, well, to, just to try at least yeah it try it, it also like you know if we used to see, I don't know if you remember this, I know your your dad will, but like you used to see people working together across the aisle. And like, while a lot of that I think was largely like kind of for show, I think there was at least they enjoyed each, you know, they talk about um, Lindsey Graham, uh, not Lindsey Graham. Uh, there's a cut, Lindsey Graham, I think, and Bernie Sanders are really good friends or were really good friends pre Lindsey pre Graham and Al Franken were really, were really yeah, good friends. There's a bunch yeah. of them where you're, where it's like, as and long Biden, as we don't I think it was about... a big thing that it was actually Biden and, and Lindsey Graham went okay. on a road trip together one, yeah, you know, back that... when he was a Senator. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so you get into that state of thing of things where at least you're keeping the opponent human, the, per, and, 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 and vice versa. And I think that that helps to, diffuse a lot of the tension it even though obviously you know people are passionate about about both sides one you know one side fearing for their lives the other side fearing for their lobby paychecks and um yeah. and, yeah, so but like it seems so what's to important me, about sorry. talking to the other side no matter what side you're on and what the topic is is letting them know there are people in their district you know in their precinct whatever who feel the other way because you don't want the person saying well listen I hear you saying that, but not one single constituent of mine has reached out to say they don't they disagree with me. Mm -hmm. And you don't want them to be to be able to even think that in their head that nobody disagrees with me because if they disagreed yeah. with me, they reach out. So even if you don't expect to have action, you need to reach out. And I mean, Leah and her mom were, I won't say tossed out of Tom Tillis's office, but uh, had a, a very unfriendly interaction with one of Tom Tillis's people. But Leah, what did Tom Tillis do last year? Uh, Tom Tillis actually sponsored the Community Safety Act, um, and so we actually did go to his office, and one of his staffers was a little bit hesitant, and then when we said, thank the senator for us, he was like, oh, thank you so much, and we gave him literature about what the bill was and everything, and it was 
it was really surprising and I was curious like in the past he's kind of been more on the like NRA side and um, I'm still really curious to know like what flipped his side was there something in the bill that he was actually passionate about I don't know but I think multiple visits of his office before the last visit was a thank you visit so you know maybe it's incremental it takes five years of visits mm -hmm. to get one one good thing one time but it's worth it for that you know yeah I did think about the um the the lone voice like so that they can't say that the other day not with guns but I got a call I I got my first like wrote uh, like pollster call um the other day and it was because there's a house bill in the the state senate or state uh, the house I don't know which one it's I mean right well now. I mean and house bill or senate bill is where it starts yeah. but it, it goes yeah. yeah. It's for medical marijuana, and so they had all these. It was twenty-seven questions, and we're in the car, and I'm answer. I answered like seven or eight questions, and Sarah's like, Sarah's like, wrap it up, like what, what's going on? And I'm like, no, it's about. I'm like, I want to be like. You could tell by the way the questions are worded, worded whether whether or not the the woman interviewing me was was in favor or against. I don't know, but the questions were worded specifically, and it was clear that the person was trying to get info to like knock this bill down. And so I was like, I, I, whenever they asked for it, you say it's a horrible idea or a terrible idea. Yeah, no, but they were, <laughs> they said like in, in several States where medical marijuana has been legalized, incidences of driving while intoxicated have risen. Does this change your opinion a little, a lot, not at all. And I was like, not at all. And I was, <laughs> I was like, that's a separate I'm stone driving right now. But anyway, so I, 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 every single question, if they asked for more specifics, I told them because I, because they're, they're lead, they're very misleading and leading questions with these, like, and, and I don't know, I've never done one before, like I said, so I don't know on other issues how it is, but they were saying that. Then there was, um, in Oregon in 1997, they legalized medical marijuana. In 2015, they legalized recreational marijuana. And in 2021, they decriminalized all narcotics, like heroin. Does this change your opinion? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I just, I was like, I want this on record. I want to be the person who's like, no, this, this does not affect my opinion. In 2020, they were hit by a pandemic. Does that change your opinion? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I was like, other people will get flustered by these questions. I have to be the one who doesn't get flustered. Huh. So there's at least one on the record being like, no, this and and I also gave very clear answers so that I didn't sound like I was just like I want to do this, like I want to get marijuana. So, and well, they're 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 counting on the fact that if you're pro marijuana, you you probably flake out halfway through the questionnaire. I will say yeah. honestly, I was pro marijuana before I ever tried marijuana. Like I thought it should be legalized way before. So, I uh, I have never tried marijuana in my 55 years, and I am pro legalization because it doesn't bother me. If it's legal, it's not worse than alcohol for someone to be have yeah. smoked a joint near me. So why do I care if it's legal or not? But Leah did get the, the fun interview <laughs> over dinner the other night or, or over brunch, I think. My mother telling stories of how she smoked pot back in the 70s with her friends. If we were like, what the hell? Where did this come from? I didn't know these stories. I was alive for that, and I didn't know this. Yeah, Not something right. I needed to know. <laughs> so um, on topic, uh, if we wanted to get Mike to talk to his um, representatives, Leah, he's in he's he, he he's in carry. Do you know who they would be off the top of your head? I do. I know. I looked it up, but uh, I'm thinking Gail as a senator. Uh huh. Um, carry representative. Would it be the same as ours, Maria Cervantes? Yes, it would. It would. Okay. Yeah. Right so, so who are, the, who are those again? The first and last names. So, senator Gail Adcock. Gail Adcock. Yeah. Oh, I know that one. You know that name. That's our senator. Yep. And Representative Maria Cervania. She uh, just got elected in uh, this last midterm. I saw her signs, and I, I'm ninety-five percent positive I voted for her. Yeah, I'm sure you um, did. You may not have voted for her in the primary, but I'm sure you did in the general. Yeah. No, I I did not vote in pro. I don't know if I voted in primaries this year. I usually try to. I try to vote in every single thing, but I don't. I showed up the first year I was down here for for one of the elections, and because literally nothing in our our district was up, they were like, "You don't have a ballot." And so I was like, "Oh, it was, it was a municipal election that you didn't have any." <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I guess it was. But I was like, 
this is very weird. Okay. And I just went home. And so I've been less good about it since I've been down here, but I do vote in like any like big time primaries. Otherwise I just, yeah, so, vote. but I vote in every general all the time. Yeah. So um, yeah, but now the big thing is voting for all the, all the other levels because that's where the bad things are happening now school board levels and local mm-hmm. levels. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we're, we are good friends with, um, well, we've, we've known Gail a long time when we've done a lot of work for her, but Maria, we are actually pretty good friends with um, Frack when she was on Cary city council and then she was County commissioner and, and she's been good on showing up for Leah's events. Yeah. And um, she is kind of a black sheep in the Democratic Party. She does things her own way, and she's uh, a little more liberal than, than than the party is in North Carolina level. And uh, like so, so, we get along really well with her. <laughs> you know, like like we, we like the um, like I'm not like I'm not a Democrat. I'm I'm unaffiliated, so I don't I don't like party politics in general. I tend mm-hmm. to 99.99% of the time. I'm I'm far left, so I go with the American Party because that's who's there. But um, but I'm not a party person, and uh, so I like Maria because I feel like if she didn't have to be in the party, she wouldn't be. Like if she could be Bernie Sanders and be independent, she would. That's that's what, the only reason I'm Democrat is um, and I guess it might be different down here, but in Massachusetts, in order to vote in primaries, you have to be on one of the parties. Nah, so, so down here, I just had to always be a Democrat to vote Democrat in the in the primaries. Yeah. So I what's yeah, the process I, here, Leah, the expert? Um, when... If you're unaffiliated in the primary, when you walk in, you ask for which ballot you want. You can sure. say, I want the um, Democrat or the uh, Republican ballot. And of course, general is the same ballot. doesn't really make, doesn't make a difference. But yeah, yeah, so if you're unaffiliated, you can choose which you vote for. Oh, that's cool. So, so if you are truly in the middle unaffiliated, you can go back and forth depending which campaign you want to do. Yeah. Some people try to do it as a spoiler, but I, I, I feel like that's... Uh, after your what your one vote's not going to make the difference, and it's not very ethical to me to do it that way. Yeah, I was gonna say after 2016, I just don't know that I even believe that spoilers can exist anymore. Just yeah. with like, you know, Trump was the joke vote in 2015, and then all of a sudden, you know, like I just don't. At this point, I just want to vote for the person that that's on the ticket that I want, and then yeah. and and that's what I'm going to vote for for the rest of my life because. I don't. I'm not going to vote strategically because I just think you have to throw out strategy and just vote with this is the correct thing to do. Well, and I mean, I think that for the primary, but for the general, you vote for the person who can win. Yeah. Because I'm going to say, like Hillary Clinton would have beaten um, Trump if there was if all the Jill Stein voters, being that it's Green Party and they're on the left, if all the Jill Stein voters were Hillary voters, she would have taken three states that she lost and she would have won. Like, okay. so like, so that, the people who voted third party in the general, in the primary, yes. I say the person who you align with the most, even if you don't think they have a shot, that's, that's fine in the primary. That, that's, that's what I would do in the primary. That is absolutely what I do. What I meant, I guess, is the person who could actually win. Like, yeah, so that's strategic. I, 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 it is, but the person I wanted most that could win. Right. To me, it yep. was a two, it was Trump or it was Hillary. It was Trump or it was Biden. Those were the two options. And the one I wanted most was Hillary, and the one I wanted most was Biden. Yeah. So yes, I I never yeah. throw away my vote. I don't mean it like that, and I right. don't. Yeah. So I say in the general, that's it's the, it, that's the thing. But like in the primary, there's eight people running, and the one I want's fifth on the list of most likely to win. I'll still vote for them because it's not going to crush me if the first or second person wins at the top of the ticket generally right. um, for the primary. But I do want to say no. The person I wanted was. Elizabeth Warren like that's like see how well she did in this state people are aligned with her so if you're going to shift in the general shift in the direction of the person who did next best on the list you know Bernie and and then Elizabeth while we're on the topic of voting do you do either of you have strong opinions on rank choice rank choice voting um heard of that so no oh okay yeah, I, uh, from I, everything I've heard about it, it if done right, it's the most democratic way to do it. That's that's what um, I was about. That's why I yeah. was wondering because in a lot of ways, uh, I just assume that you two are more aware than I am. But in this way, I think I'm on the same page as as you, Matthew. But I've heard a decent amount about it. I don't know how much there is to have evidence supporting that that it works the best. But basically, the the concept of rank choice voting is let's say it's Bernie. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Hillary, who am I? Biden and Bloomberg. Let's Biden and Bloomberg. 
you would put your your ranks down. So you'd say, I want uh, Bernie the most, Elizabeth Warren the second most, Hillary the third most, you know, however you want. So they go through the rank, they go through the votes and they say, okay, well, we're going to eliminate the sixth person. And then the person who came in sixth, let's say that's Bloomberg. Um, all the people who voted Bloomberg first, their second votes get bumped up. So if they voted Bernie second, Bernie gets all their votes until they've narrowed it down to the top candidate. And so you could potentially, if everyone voted second place on Bernie and nobody voted first place, Bernie could win because everyone wanted him second most as opposed to having, you know, let's some people wanted Hillary and some people wanted Elizabeth Warren and some people wanted Biden. And so the ranking constantly is is just dropping the least popular yeah. person every single round until they've narrowed it down to that top person. And so you can get this. I mean, I guess it would be tough on this. If it's down to two candidates at the end, it would be tough to say everyone voted second place on Bernie. Well, they wouldn't well win, but, but I mean, what, what you could do, if it got down to the three candidates, right? Mm-hmm. And it's Biden, Bernie, and Elizabeth Warren, and you're bumping Elizabeth Warren off, the odds are most of those Elizabeth Warren people ranked Bernie higher sure. than they ranked Biden because they're almost they're, they're, their platforms are almost the same. So yeah. all so almost like eighty percent of those Elizabeth Warren votes would become Bernie votes, and he would jump ahead. Right. And in Most a general likely. election, it gives a, a voice option to the people who want Jill Stein or want what was Gary? Yeah. What was the Gary Johnson? Johnson. Gary Johnson. He was the libertarian. Um, yeah. He I didn't ran know with where Bill Aleppo was. Yeah. Yeah. But like you give you you would allow those people who align more with a third party to say okay i'm gonna vote for jill stein number one because i want her as my first pick i want it on record that she's my first pick and then hillary's number two and then when jill stein's clearly eliminated your vote then goes to hillary and 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 so it it is a system that, that they just did it with the oscars for the first time this year um and look the Oscars got it mostly right. <laughs> yeah, pretty, so, yeah, pretty good. Oh yeah. That's, but um, yeah, the problems were in the nominations, not in the winners. Yeah, like, like who wasn't nominated is is it was bigger yeah. than than won. So what's really great about it, I think, is that it it simulates the caucus system where you go in a room and people try to coax you over to your side or their side because mm-hmm. it isn't just a winner take all one vote. It's well, I really like this person ninety percent. I like this person eighty. This person seventy. So it's like if you were in a room arguing over what's for dinner and 51% of the people say pizza and to three, three people in the room, like I'm, I'm glucose, I, I, I'm lactose intolerant. I can't eat that. They're not stuck with it because they might go to the second choices and then Chinese food wins. Right. It makes it more likely that other voices can like you can get a, a coalition of people who didn't vote for the first thing to all vote for the second thing. And so the second thing went. Yeah. Actually, I shouldn't say 51%. I should say be like four out of 10 people want pizza. And then there's two people who want hamburgers, two people who want tuna fish, two people who want grilled cheese. They all lose. But because all their choices lose, it goes to their second choice. And the second choice for each one of them was burgers. And now there's six people who want burgers versus four people who want pizza and burgers wins, which makes more people happy than if pizza had won, even though pizza was the number one choice in the first round. Yeah. I think so, certain states have implemented it, right? Yep. Alaska did this past year, which is Sarah Palin was saying that's why she lost, even though she didn't come even in second or third place. She came in really, like, really far behind, but she kept saying we didn't really know because of ranked choice that we didn't know where she would have voted ranked if she was their only choice. Yeah, and there and there is something to. I want to quote President Trump, you know, who when they said. You know, if there was no electric college, he would have won because he lost the popular vote. And he said, I would have run a different campaign. Mm-hmm. So there's something too. you have to run a different campaign and, and, and as a party have different candidates running in a different way. And if in Alaska, people, the parties didn't adapt to the fact that it was ranked choice properly, that probably did hurt their standing where had they approached it differently, maybe it wouldn't have, you know, and like, it's the kind of thing that might take a couple of election cycles to really balance out where the parties know how to handle it. But it also gives third parties, like you said, a chance to make more of a showing too. Yeah. You can have more, multiple parties because you don't have to be afraid of voting for a third party because your vote will still count if your third party doesn't do well. Right. Yeah. And in certain, 
it, it, I know that like a lot of the funding, how, how parties get funding is based on percentage. I think if you hit 5%, you get some. Slight... Yeah. Every state has its own yeah. little rules, but yeah. Yeah. So like in certain states, like in Vermont, for example, if you had ranked choice voting, um, cause Bernie's independent and he's from Vermont. If you had somebody running third party, they may get enough votes to, to get, um, to, to get some funding in that state and that would help build build the our options you know so that we're not just dealing with the two-party system but yeah which is one of the things that probably stands in the way of third uh, of ranked choice voting that and i've it, heard that is the current people the current people who are in office not wanting that to happen it's, it's yeah. contrary to their interests to allow third parties to get stronger there's also a i've heard a strong argument that um it would it would be it's one of those things where if it happened on a national scale, uh, Republicans would never win again. Kind of like it's one of those, one of those nail in the coffin. There's two or three nails in the coffin that would stop them from winning national elections ever again, and it is one of those, I believe, or at least they they speculate that it is. They would have to change to to adapt to it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Leah, um, can you tell us? Since I know your story well, can you tell us? your most personal gun violence story, the one that motivates you on the most personal level? <laughs> yeah, so uh, April 30th, 2018, the UNC Charlotte shooting happened. And my brother was going to school at that time, and he was on campus um, in the computer science tutoring lab, and he was on lockdown for four hours, which was the worst four hours of my life. Um, the way we found out was my mom gets like niner alerts, which is like for weather alerts, class changes, anything like that. But this time um, the email said that there's an active shooter on campus and the message was run, hide, fight, which is the worst thing a parent can ever get. Um, my mom immediately texted my brother and it was like, five, 10 minutes later that he texted back. And for my mom, that was the longest 10 minutes of her life. I actually texted my brother and he like texted me back five minutes later. And uh, we were just making sure he was okay. And he said he was, but he also had to keep all the other students, you know, calm and quiet. Cause obviously when you're on lockdown and there's an active shooter around you, you gotta stay quiet so they don't find you, which sucks. Um, and he was the head of the tutoring center, so as a 19-year-old, it fell on him to be the person in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then later on that night, once he came home, we actually got all the information of how many were injured, how many are dead. And uh, two students were killed, Riley Howell and Reed Parlier. And um, then the four students who were injured was Emily Halp, who is my brother's friend at um at school and um and another student who was from my sister-in-law's hometown of Saudi Arabia and two other students who were injured were from Apex which is our hometown and um Drew Pascaro and Shonda Hart were the two students from Apex and it just hit way too close to home and it was really scary that day and I remember we were preparing for the teachers march the day um after and yeah, that 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 day has always stayed with us, and um, we every time we tell that story, it's emotional and it's hard, but it keeps us motivated. It keeps us going, and I am thankful that my brother got to come home. Um, I am heartbroken for the two families, the two mothers that lost their kids, their babies. I mean, even though they were grown up, they're still, you know, their babies. Yeah. Um, and and it was uh, just like a month before graduation, so. You know, we were there at graduation and, you know, um, first the parents went by to get like posthumous honorary degrees for their students who didn't finish school. And, you know, we had to watch that. And then, uh, you know, it's heartbreaking. And then um, Emily, Jacob's friend, went like she marched across the stage first because she was on crutches. So she couldn't walk with her class properly. So, um, yeah, so it was very moving as parents to be and knowing that our son was just a couple of buildings away you know it could have been in the computer lab instead of in the classroom where they were working on their their presentation just as easily mm-hmm. yeah and anytime we go to a press conference event anything like that um we do have pictures of riley and reed and we just we show them and because we're usually in front of legislators and it's like 
take a look at these pictures, these lives that were taken by gun violence. Um, it's really hard for me to like tell the story, and I know it's even harder for my mom, um, and it makes me want to cry every time. But at the same time, it's like it's motivating to hear those stories. And um, one time, I told that story at a uh, press conference last year after Uvalde, and all the legislators behind me were just groaning, like, "Oh, that shouldn't have happened." And um, a representative, Deb Butler, after I was done, t like telling my speech she actually gave me the biggest hug and it was really cool because she's I mean Deb Butler was one of the representatives who was like yelling in the house floor saying we will not yield and she's just and it's nice to have yeah. those like it's nice to have that support and you know yeah sorry one of the things that you said that or you you've one of the things that you've done a couple times while talking is is you've said all their names and you clearly remember all their names and the idea of showing the faces when you're bringing the pictures with you and saying their names it feels like that's and maybe maybe you're gonna be like yeah duh like is that an <laughs> intentional so that you like is is the saying of the names as, as i mean because i don't remember names great and you've remembered so many names like you've already named at least 10 people does that help put a human face on it? Do you think when you're talking to like people and like, cause I think a big part of our problem is, is that it's, it's a largely faceless void that the politics can be largely faceless void when we're trying to get things done and you've, whether it's intentional or unintentional by saying their names, I feel like you're giving a name to it and to the people it, it makes it human. Like, yeah. Um, I definitely think so. And um, the biggest thing with any gun violence prevention group is remember the names of the victims, not the shooter. Uh, we yeah. try to talk less about the shooter. And usually in the news, you hear about the person who did the act of violence, but you want to remember those who were killed. Um, so that's the biggest thing for me. And um, that's why we like carry around those names and carry around those pictures is to just show that these were just people who just innocent people who didn't deserve to be killed and they should still be alive. Yeah. And Leah has shared the stage with lots of um, parents who've lost children, you know, who, who share their stories. So she yeah. has um, dear friends, you know, f from my generation, your generation who have lost their children, uh, Leah, uh, listen and, and, and yeah. hug them and cry with them and, you know, be with them. So the, the victim story is always foremost for her. Yeah. As for speaking the the perpetrator, I don't know. I forget the word you just used. Yeah, not that's, the that's shooter. Funny. Yeah. As for speaking their names, um, and I know that it's different because I haven't had cable news in six or seven years now. But because all of my news sources are YouTube, like actual news things, I don't think I've heard the name of a shooter in three or four years like i don't the one this weekend i don't know the uvalde one i don't know like i I don't think i've ever heard their names um and i and i've been happy about that um I, I i don't want to be unaware of the topic and unaware of the impact but i also think that i there it's it it seems like I forget if it was Australia, one of the countries stopped reporting on the new uh, reporting on their names and they saw a drop and, um, in I forget which country I will look it up and I'll, if, if I can find it, I'll link to it in the show notes and I'll send it to you. But, um, I'm pretty sure that they've shown that studies have shown that there is some correlation because these, these people want to be famous or have some legacy, which is really fucking weird. But yeah. like, but um, yeah, I haven't, and I, again, I don't watch CNN or C-SPAN or, well, not C-SPAN, but CNN or, or MSNBC <laughs> or any of those. Right. Um, he, watches so I haven't... he watches Fox. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fox is an OAN. Those are his big ones. Um, so yeah, um, the news does report about the shooter a lot just because they're trying to be like, why they did it, you know, what's the, um, what's the reason behind it? Um, yeah which and like they don't they put up the victims names too and like pictures as well 
but they report more on the shooter because they want to like share maybe why they did this and that kind of thing but reporting on it yeah it's probably not the the best idea to do because there's so many copycats out there that want to do the same thing and get the same recognition which is like so horrifying I get the natural inclination to report on a, on a perpetrator, but I also think once you start having, like, I'm very, I consider myself very utilitarian. And when it comes to, like, if you're seeing worse results when you report them, ultimately, I think. Uh, that's just, the key, Michael. What does worse results mean? Because what the news wants is ratings. And talking about the sad thing, the children who died or the or adults who died, whichever, that's sure. sad. Nobody wants to watch that. What Talking about the perpetrator, that makes you angry. And people do want to watch it when they're angry. So okay. it's definitely a ratings grabber to talk about the thing that makes people angry and tune in, not the thing that makes them sad and tune out. When I say results, though, I mean like uh, saving I, lives. Uh, when you say results, I know you're right. But... Your priority is not CNN's priority. Right. That's true. Yeah. Which is, uh, I think, a big problem as well that in Absolutely. our society right now. Mm-hmm. News used to um, be about information. Now it's about infotainment. One thing that I did want to bring up, and um, it was funny. I was telling Saba, my coworker who was on the show three weeks ago, I forget, uh, several episodes ago. She, Her and I were talking, and I was saying, oh, today I, I think I'm going to record about gun violence. I said, I kind of sprung it on on my co-host and his daughter, but we're going to talk about it. And we, and she and I talked about it for a few minutes and I said, you know, one of the big things that really bothers me when this topic gets talked about, not, not by our side, but one of the big problems on the, on, you know, is, is I, I I think that a lot of the argumentation on the right makes it's obfuscation more than argumentation. So you get the point of like AR, Everybody, you know, if you, you, I'm sure you've heard Republicans say AR doesn't, AR doesn't stand, stand for, for assault, assault rifle. rifle. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, Saba goes, yeah, it does. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, no, it doesn't. And she said, well, most people think it does. I'm like, yeah, most people think it does, yeah. but it doesn't. And it's the brand name or whatever, Armalite, yeah. which Armalite yeah, yeah. would be AL. I don't understand that. I get it's yeah. AR at the beginning, but if you're going to do it, you'd... but my point, the point that I was getting towards was, um, the idea of constantly nitpicking the the arguments and and so I I have a couple of I'm not really currently friends with but friends <laughs> overall friends that are pretty pro gun and I back I'd say seven eight years ago I was sending oh you should listen to this it's an interesting podcast it's got pro gun people and anti gun people talking and and it's interesting and. I would get responses back like, well, those, those aren't gun people, the, the people that were arguing somewhat in favor of guns. And it's a no true Scotsman. We get a lot of the no true Scotsman fallacy from yeah. the public, from the pro gun side. It's like the idea of, yeah, they, they like to shoot, you know, out in the wilderness and, you know, once a year up in Montana, but that's not a real gun person. And I'm like, yeah, but the you real gun people don't... don't come to the table. Real gun people yeah. don't offer a, a, options, so we have to deal with these gun people. But I think more people are that person. Absolutely. The, the people who are in the news well, are, the, are the outliers. The, the, ex- most gun owners are sane gun owners. I, I think that they are in practice, but they are not necessarily in the way they vote, in the way that they think what, as, as far as society. I think a lot more gun people, it's kind of similar to how we've started up this huge trans panic. Um, even though people, a lot of people just didn't give a shit until like two years ago when they started talking about all of it. And and now all the, like what we would have considered like reasonable people on the other side of the aisle are no longer reasonable. I think with guns, you've had, you've had the, the fear of guns being taken away 100% for so long that, that I think there's a lot more of what we would think of as like reasonable gun owners who are. 100% 100% like you can pry it from my cold dead hands. Like I, I know, I know f- I have, I have family members who, who I think they like are like, yeah, no, I, the reason I have my gun license is because when Hillary was going to be president, I knew they were going to take guns away. I'm like, none yeah. of those things have happened. Like, so I, 
I have a friend who has a child a little younger than Logan. I think he's five, so he's just a little bit younger. And he pinged me last year, I guess he texted me and he said, you know, I was reading about how having a gun in the house makes it more likely that your child will be killed by a gun. Like it does not protect you. It makes it more likely to be, be killed. And he goes, and I have a gun that I've had, you know, locked up. Ammo's locked up separately. I've had it, you know, for 10 years. But I realized I have not needed it for 10 years, but I do need my son to be alive. And he was asking me, how do I get rid of this? And what, what do I do? To, what's the right way to get rid of my gun? And I said, well, I'll keep an eye out for when there's a, you know, a governmental-led buyback. That's a safe way for the police to take the gun back and know that it's not going to end up in a criminal's hands. Yeah. And then Durham did one, and he lives in Durham County, so he went to it, and he's texting me saying, you know, I'm like 10 blocks back online. You know, it's been here for an hour already. It's hardly moving, which is fine. But there's people walking up and down the sidewalk, knocking on the door, offering to buy your gun from you. Oh. No paperwork, no permits. Just I'll buy your gun from you. And, you know, you don't have to wait online. I'll buy your gun. And and he's like, and I see them walking away with long guns, you know, with like, like and people driving off, you know, so it, they're getting people to sell them their guns. Yeah. And he's, he was like freaked out by it. So we saving so me. So I, I, I pinged my, uh, Leah and, and her mom, and they Leah reached out to um, Gerald Givens, who was at the time the president of the NAACP Raleigh Apex chapter, and now he's doing something else. Um, and But Gerald reached out to the, the Raleigh police, the Durham police, and told them, so they sent squad cars over to like police the line. And Raleigh was doing one the next week. So my wife reached out to the police chief in Raleigh, who she's friendly with because of their activism. And so she made sure that from minute one of their buyback, police were patrolling the line so it wouldn't happen in Raleigh. Oh, but it's great. when you try to do the right thing, sometimes it goes wrong because they just didn't foresee what, <laughs> like you're bringing all the guns that people want to get rid of to one place. But yeah. happily, my friend Chris was able to get rid of his gun to the police department. Um, and now his son um, is, is uh, safer in the house than he was. Good, good. Obviously. I was thinking about our friends Cecil and Tom from the Cogdisc podcast, who are both gun owners who like they like to go out to shooting ranges and shoot. And they're always like, "But if Illinois was to pass a law saying turn all guns in because it'll make us safer, we'll be at the front of the line turning our gun in if everyone else is, and it's going to be safe." Like we enjoy having guns, you know, we we do it in a safe way. And it's like at one point, I think you know, like Cecil's like, "I don't have kids. I'm not putting anyone in danger. I'm not, you know." Though, you know, technically he's putting his wife in danger if he were to lose his temper, but he's a pretty even guy. Um, but statistically, there's more danger just because it's in the house, regardless yeah. of who you are. Um, but yeah, they were like, we'll give it up in a second if everyone, if if it was the law, we'd be happy to, um, you know, because we only do it. We're like, I don't plan on shooting anybody. We like to go out to shoot cans, you know, targets. Yeah. And, and I think in the perfect world, that's where guns will be stored at shooting ranges. And you want to shoot, that's great go there and you rent your gun for four hours and you shoot the way you rent your bowling shoes. Yeah. I think that's how they do it in England, largely, depending on the type of gun you want to use is they, they're stored somewhere else and you have to go rent it. But it's the way they did in colonial America. If you go to a colonial Williamsburg, one of the buildings is the armory. So when they talk about the second amendment, you know, the guns were kept in the armory. And when it was your turn to be on watch, you went and got your gun. Or if you wanted to go hunting, you went and you checked your gun out. You didn't have it in your house. It was like in colonial times in Richmond. It was, it was that way or Wilmersburg next to Richmond. Yeah. When, so, so Logan is, uh, he's a pretty gun friendly kid. Uh, even though Sarah and I are not particularly, we, we didn't get him any gun toys till he started picking them out. And I'm just like, you know, I, 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 have a hard time because I feel like if you taboo something, it becomes more of a thing. So I like have a hard time with it, but what I try really hard and we've had this conversation a few times and he, he, he'll say something about someone getting killed with a gun. And I'll say, well, do you know who's most likely to get killed with a gun? And he's like, who? And I said, gun owners. And I just am slowly like introducing him to the facts and like trying to like shape it. Cause I don't want to be like, you can't have guns. Guns are bad. Instead. I just want to slowly build it up. And I also want to D de- I think a huge part of the problem we have in this country is a fetishization of guns. And so okay. I want to not build that. I want to just, I don't want to taboo them cause that creates a problem sometimes. And I don't want to like, but I don't want to just, pretend like it oh yeah guns are fine like i just 
yeah, guns are necessary in this situation. And that's pretty, you know, if you're living in Montana and you're going out in the backyard with bears, that's a good reason to have a gun. Uh, you know, a side piece. Yeah, we, 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 hey, we have a friend who has a farm, you know, just a couple of miles yeah. from us where we are all seated. And coyotes come to his farm. He has, you know, a shotgun and a hunting rifle because he needs them. He doesn't have an AR-15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are people hunting guns, unfortunately. Yep. I know they don't like the word assault rifle, but it's a rifle, right? And it's not, made for, it's not made for hunting. It's not made for target practice. I mean, you yeah. can use it for target practice, but functionality-wise, it's used for assaulting people. Yeah. And that's one of the hard things about gun laws is that, you know, assault rifle doesn't have a definition. You know that right. that that's that's consistent. So if you when you define it, they just change. Like if you list, don't you can't sell AR-15s. They go, I have a new gun. It's called the AR-16. It looks like the AR-15, but it's got a 16 on the side. You know, and like they literally make slightest changes to things to make it a new model. So you have to find ways to yeah. define things or capture or have the caveat of or similar weapons. You know, like so yeah. there's some leeway to interpret it. Um, why don't we start wrapping things up, Leah, if you want to tell the audience, uh, any, you know, if you want to plug any websites or particular causes, um, I think about only like a third of our listeners are actually North Carolina. So if you've got more national stuff or that would be good too. So you can do both. I'm, I'm just saying like, if you want to reach a bigger audience, you can plug anything you want. Um, I just wanted to say that. As an activist, I will keep going to end this epidemic. Um, a friend of ours, the Gerald Givens, the former president of the NAACP, has started a group called Boots on the Ground. And it's just an advocacy group where we try to stop violence on the streets before it happens. It's called Community Violence Interruption. And we just want to break a cycle of, of violence because enough is enough. Um, that's all I can say about that. But, you know, enough is enough. We can't keep yeah. having these shootings. What happened yesterday in Nashville was so heartbreaking. I was almost like burst into tears. I, yeah. It was hard. Yeah. And I am I'm with those families, you know, uh, I think about those families every day. I think about every victim of gun violence all the time. And just want to say that gun violence is an epidemic and enough is enough. And that's boots on the ground, Raleigh is the, the actual name, right? Okay. Yes. I if if I'll get the link, um, and I'll yeah, right put that in the show they notes. They just they they just started, so they don't have a website up yet, but they do have a Twitter oh, okay. account. So I'll send you the Twitter. Perfect. Um, we'll we'll put that up, um, and I'll also tag, um, or I'll put something in that when I post on Instagram for this episode, because I I do want, um, you know, we haven't had two, we haven't really had anything that's been that meaningful. I, we've had a couple of episodes that have been that, you know, and I've said like stuff, but we actually have some, some resources on this one. So I would like to, to actually connect people with, with information and resources to try. We, I, I don't want to be sitting here having a 10 year anniversary of, of this conversation and having to redo all the same, same points because nothing's changed. So I think we really need to make, I, I I am a bit of a pessimist in some ways. I think that like you never solve the problem fully, but we that is not an excuse to not push forward and to not improve. And this this problem, I I don't know that I've seen enough meaningful change in the last twenty years. Twenty has been twenty three years since Columbine. That's uh, I mean the temporary change was yeah. you know, Obama's assault rifle ban. Things went down. I think well, gun violence went down by like forty-five percent during the ban, and then when the ban expired and they did not renew it, it went up two hundred and forty-five percent or something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's actually been twenty-four years next month for since Columbine. Yo, yeah. Oh my gosh. And and of yeah. course now you see like most shootings are used via AR-15, and that's the reason why Biden is pushing yeah. Congress uh, with the assault rifle ban. So. Yeah. Yep. And I would say if people want to learn more about what they can do where they are, it, it's, um, you know, so those people who are not in North Carolina, if you um, go ahead and Google, or if you want to use the new AI in Bing, you can Bing with AI. Um, but, you know, go out and search for, um, you know, anti-gun violence or common sense gun laws or gun 
uh, victim advocacy, you know, and insert, insert your town or city, you know, with that. So you can find local groups that do it because there's always a local group. And, um, and sometimes that's more effective because those are the people who are talking to your legislators where you are. Great. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Leah. This this was very, I think this was really important for us to talk about. Um, and and it's, you know, it's it's really sad that we have to, but I think it was really important that we talk about it. Hopefully, I don't have that many listeners yet, but maybe in a couple of years when we have a back catalog and we have new listeners, they'll listen to this episode. Because they'll think- be like, oh my God, Senator Cravat was on this podcast. Oh gosh. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me and thanks for allowing me to talk about all this. Oh yeah, no, this was great. Thank you. It was great meeting you, Leah. Yeah.